Hello, and welcome to Love in the Time of COVID-19. This is episode 10. We've been doing this social distancing, quarantine, isolation thing for quite a while. And my hope is to always leave you feeling happy, uh, or at least somewhat lighter after every episode. And don't worry, I will. But I do want to tell you that uh, conversation I have during this week's show is definitely very deep and definitely very heavy and certainly emotional. Well, it's emotional for for me. I mean, uh, I'm the one that gets emotional. Maybe there's some tears during it. Uh, I'm crying, all right? Bottom line, I'm crying. Don't judge. Uh, It's not easy what we're doing and what we've been dealing with for the last several weeks, but my emotional experience is just that, my emotional experience, and I hope that I could allow you yours and that you will allow me mine, okay? Okay, so I'm hopping right into the interview. It's because it's important, uh, because it's long, uh, and it's really lovely. And uh, it's with Mandy Zucker, who is a social worker with extensive experience in the field of grief. She has worked in hospice and grief support centers for over 20 years with a special emphasis on children. She's a lead responder for the Traumatic Loss Coalition, which immediately responds when a student or staff member dies in a school. She also has a lot of experience helping parents talk to their children about illness and death. All right, so you get it now? It's going to be a heavy, heavy talk. We get into all of it. Sit back, grab a tissue. Here's my conversation with Mandy Zucker. Hello, Mandy. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk with me and with us about what I think is really crucial and vital right now. I'm happy to talk to you all the time. <laughs> Thank you. Something something that occurred to me as I was, you know, prepping for our conversation and thinking about the podcast and how ultimately, you know, what motivated me to start the podcast was I wanted to bring some some lightness and some love and some romance. But I realized, you know, as I was using my grandfather's letters to my grandmother as motivation, mm-hmm. I was sad. And mm-hmm you know, missing them. Yeah. It makes me emotional now. Of course. But the question, the question that came up for me is we talk about grief, right? Mm -hmm. You specialize in grief. We talked about that. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned that in your intro, but there's also the aspect of mourning. Yeah. And how, how do we know when we're doing one or the other? Are they interchangeable? Is it the same thing? Grief versus mourning. Yeah, they're different, actually. Grief is just what happens. When we experience loss, we grieve. It's just this sort of natural internal feelings and experiences that we have when we lose something that we care about. Mourning is the expression of that. So, you know, lots of people will tell me, like, I've never grieved. I I haven't, you know, given myself time to grieve. You actually have grieved. You've had the feelings. What you might not have done is mourned is express those feelings, share them with others. Grieving just happens. Mourning is so important. I appreciate that question. As I become emotional, and this is an extremely emotionally charged time because it is so uh, different to Mm -hmm. to what we consider, quote, normal. Yeah. So I think there's there's a lot of emotional upheaval. Mm -hmm. And so even me just thinking about my grandfather and my grandmother, you know, my grandmother's been gone for a very long time. My grandfather at this point, you know, as well. Mm -hmm. So, but it's still the pit that it hits. Yep. 
is really remarkable to me. And so obviously there's a beauty in recognizing your emotion and being able to express them. And you said something so interesting, you know, I haven't had time to grieve. I haven't grieved properly Mm -hmm. or you're, you haven't done that for yourself yet. So you are not capable of moving forward. One of the things that we talk about, or we hear people talk about all the time are the five stages of grief. It's pretty frustrating because I mean, I don't, I anger, denial, I can't even name them for you. So maybe if, <laughs> I'm sure you know them, you could right. name them. I, I have found I've experienced, you know, unfortunately I've experienced traumatic death in, in my life and my family. Mm-hmm. And most of it is just anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's my, that's my go-to. <laughs> yeah. So, but even that's a, a tough one for a lot of people to recognize. So, so if you don't mind, yeah. just remind people what the five stages are and, right. and your thoughts on them would be great. Yeah. So I'll give you a caveat to begin with. I actually don't really believe in the stages of grief. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was actually um, sort of coined that, that those five stages, but she wasn't actually talking about death. She was talking about dying. I don't know how it got sort of translated to the bereavement side, but it was really about people who were actively dying and their process to accept the fact that they were dying. Somehow, you know, modern culture, we've, we've sort of taken it on as, a, as grief. But grief is unfortunately so much messier than five nice, neat stages. I wish we could say we're going to go through them, you know, with the anger and then the depression and the bargaining and acceptance. And it doesn't happen like that. It's just a big, I, I sort of think of it as like a, you know, a ball of yarn that your cat might have played with for quite some time. It's just such a mess, you know, and, <laughs> and I sort of think of those, you know, the stages as sort of prevalent feelings that people have. They are sort of, you know, lots of people will experience anger and depression, but not necessarily in that order. If we could just sort of change our view about that, just that, you know, there are some things that are sort of common, although grief is so unique and personal, there are some things that people uh, experience, you know, many people will experience. There's some commonalities amongst people who grieve. But I wish that it was just, you know, we all went through it neatly and we could say next week you're going to move on to the acceptance <laughs> phase. But anybody, all of us now, um, I am absolutely certain in the world have experienced grief. If you're living through this pandemic, um, we all know that that's not the way that it works. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that, because mm-hmm. I think that's part of the problem is that everyone thinks, well, I haven't gone through stage three or I haven't gone right. through stage one. So that means I'm not done yet. Yes. And I, I do a lot of work in the harm reduction and recovery field. Yeah. And my evolution of thought turned into, well, recovery is different for everybody. Mm-hmm. And we have to feel that same way about grief. Grief Absolutely. is different for everybody. And we have yep. to give people permission. And that leads me to, to another question or realization, Mm -hmm. grief isn't only about death. No, no, I think all of us can, again, you know, during this pandemic, realize that um, we're all grieving. And, you know, so many of us are grieving because of a death. Um, Unfortunately, there's been, you know, I haven't come across somebody that hasn't been touched first or second connections through a death through this pandemic. But no, grief really happens whenever you lose something or someone that you care about. It's just a natural experience that we have when things that we care about change. You know, it could be a good thing. I remember a woman telling me about the grief she experienced after she had her first baby. 
And I, I remember thinking like in my head, like, what do you mean? Like it was planned. You wanted it. It was all, you know, baby was healthy. It was exactly what you wanted. And she said, yes, it was. It was a great thing. But at the same time, I lost I lost freedom, spontaneous girls' nights out. I lost, you know, my body. I lost privacy. All of these things that she lost that she wasn't, you know, she didn't really plan for. And she said, and I grieved. I really felt so like I lost something important to me. So even good things can be, um, you know, you can experience grief with good things. And this pandemic, you know, has brought about significant changes for so I can't. I don't know anybody that it hasn't affected significantly. So we're all grieving. We've all heard, you know, countless stories about graduations and weddings and vacations and just, you know, first dates that were planned and summer plans and, you know, even little things like privacy. I know I live in a house with four people, with three other people. I don't get a lot of privacy anymore. I used to have privacy. I used to be able to, you know. I get it. It's just, you know, so I'm grieving for that. And I'm an extrovert. I like being with people. But right now I... I would like to be without people for a little while. So I think it's important to just validate that, you know, all of those feelings um, are associated with, you know, the losses that we're all experiencing. I'm, I'm with my three kids. You know, one of them is a senior in high school. So we grieve that he won't actually yeah. experience a, a typical traditional graduation. And I have an mm-hmm. eighth grader who's graduating middle school and will be moving yep. on into high school. Is there a language that you can recommend as a parent mm-hmm. that I can share with them and validate whether or not they've expressed their sadness? I'm yeah. sure it's there. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to acknowledge and validate for them that even if they don't want to share it with me, that I'm sure they're sharing it internally. Sure. What can I say to them to yeah. help them? When you're when you ask that question, the first thing that I thought of is some language not to use. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know if that's, that's as helpful. helpful, but there are two words that if we could rid ourselves of, I would it would the world would be a much better place. Those two words are at least. Every time I hear somebody say, well, at least you're all healthy or at least, you know, he's only in eighth grade, so he'll still get his high school graduation or at least you have a big house, whatever it is, that just minimizes the pain that people are experiencing. You know, I have a freshman in college and a junior in high school, so we're not, you know, dealing with graduations and those kinds of things, but so many people will say when I say something like, you know, he's worried about camp this summer. Well, at least he's a junior and he's not, you know, missing out on his senior year. So it, it just doesn't validate the feelings. I've seen so many people writing about their, you know, elementary school kids who are graduating from, say, fifth grade and they do, you know, little graduation ceremonies. To them, that's as big as their high school graduation. They don't know from high school graduation. They just know elementary school graduation. So if we could, you know, just get rid of that, those two words and just say, it's really hard. I'm so sorry um, that you can't get, you know, what you were planning on. That's so validating. Wow. I, that's already the biggest lesson for me of our conversation. <laughs> I am going to work very hard on not using those words again, because it's become almost reflexive. Yeah. It's, oh, wow. You had your, your foot amputated well at least you still have another one exactly or you have your leg and the point of that I know when people say it I mean the the reality is I say it sometimes too it just slips 
and it's coming from the best place. You know, I'm trying to make them feel better. So, you know, look on the bright side, but they're not. So when they're in that moment and they're feeling bad, and then I tell them not to feel that way to <laughs> look on the bright side, it just makes them say, okay, so she's another person I can't tell my real feelings to. And when we get to a place where they're not necessarily sharing their feelings, right? Like I know I've had conversations with my senior where I try to pull out what he's going through. Yeah. And I'll say, so, you know, it really kind of sucks that you're not going to have graduation. And I get the kind of shrug. Yeah, right. it's mm -hmm. all right. It's okay. Mm -hmm. no big deal. And I'm, maybe it's not for him. And me, maybe really what it is is that I'm devastated yeah. that I don't get to be the sniveling, sobbing mom, you know, <laughs> screaming for my child when yep. he gets handed his diploma. Mm -hmm. But do we, do we force it? I'm going to say no. I'll tell you an interesting story. I have a sister who has a senior and she recently told me the same exact thing that you just said, that she's devastated. He's kind of like, you know, it is what it is. And he hasn't seemed to be that upset. But she's also said that he hasn't been that nice to her lately. And she's been really struggling because he's been pretty mean. Eventually, he just said, you know, I'm not getting my senior year. I'm not going to prom. So she was trying really hard to, like, follow his lead and not, you know, bring up stuff unless he brought them up. But he was holding it. I think, she, you know, I think she did a great job. She didn't force it. It just kind of came out. But it took him his own time to kind of be able to say all of those things. And after right. you know he shared that with her, she felt better. I hope he did too, um, because now they're able to talk about that they're both really sad about it. So, so I can be I can be patient. <laughs> you can be, and you also you know you could talk to other people about it. So you don't need to you know burden your kids with I'm so sad that you're not having a graduation and make them feel bad if they're not. <laughs> but you know you have other friends probably who have seniors. So you Absolutely. probably talk to them about it. We've been doing that. And mm -hmm. I'm grateful to have that outlet because I don't want to put it all on my kids. Yeah. One of the one of the thoughts that keeps coming up for me as you're talking is that there there's an aspect of grief, I think, mm -hmm. that correlates to sort of powerlessness and helplessness where we can't do anything. No. Nope. It's it's been done. Mm -hmm. You know, so here we are in the midst of this pandemic and people are dying. My, one of my closest friends just lost her mother. Mm -hmm. And the devastation surrounding her mom's death was so different than it should have been. I you know, I don't like to use the shoulda coulda woulda, but the fact that, you know, okay, Helen was 91, amazing that mm -hmm. she lived such a life, but what should have been her transition yes. was stolen, yeah. essentially. Yep. And my friend was not able to be with her when she passed. Yeah. So that's going to be a whole other level of grief yep. that she's going to have to contend with. So can we talk a little bit about how while in the midst of this pandemic, mm -hmm. we're going to experience grief in varying ways? Yeah. I mean, we could talk a little bit about it. The reality is we don't even know how this is going to affect us, you know? I mean, it's just, it's happening in this moment and there's not a lot of, you know, time yet to look back and see how it really affected us. I am sure that, you know, when we have a little bit of time between us, we'll be able to look back at this time and really see the impact and probably not a great one um, about, you know, how we were able to mourn during this pandemic. 
because I personally believe that mourning is key to healthy recovery after a loss. And mourning involves community. And right now that's really hard. Although I have to say, I've seen some really creative things that people are trying to do to support one another. I went to a virtual wake. I had a friend whose father also died and, you know, we, it was a shiva actually. So we went to a, a virtual shiva. You know, people have seen these drive-by birthdays. I've seen drive-by condolences where people drive by and they've made signs or throw flowers or those kinds of things. You know, social media has been a great way for people to express their feelings and to get support, which has, you know, been around for a while, of course, but it's a beautiful way because people that might not have been able to come to a shiva or a wake or a funeral are still able to support you from afar. And there's always things like meal deliveries and, um, you know, the good old fashioned condolence cards that you send in the mail, <laughs> phone calls, you know, those are, those are great. And, um, and actually I think they're even more important right now because we're not able to see each other. Um, so, you know, scheduling a, a phone call or even like a zoom you know, a lunch or something. Those are really important ways to show, you know, mourners that we care about them. And especially because it's such an isolating time and grief, despite the fact that it's so universal, it feels so incredibly personal. It is personal, but it could feel so isolating. And we are isolated right now. So reaching out to people in any way that you can, I think is, you know, really important. I'm curious to see what the effect of this pandemic will be on on people who have actually experienced a death. Oh, absolutely. And I and I wonder as well, and I kind of hope that people will do this if it is important to them, you know, that there is some sort of ceremonial mm-hmm. event, a memorial yeah. kind of event, mm-hmm. even if it's six months from now, eight months from now a gathering of sorts, because like you said, it's community based. Yeah. For me, it's been so hard to not be able to rush to my friend's side and give her a hug. No, it's horrible. It really is. And I hope that, you know, if they're feeling that way, if people are feeling like they need their community, you could spend some of this time in isolation to plan some kind of a memorial. You know, oftentimes funerals are planned in a day. Now you have a little gift of time so you can really put together some beautiful music or, you know, really spend time writing a eulogy that you'd want people to hear. Um, So you can use this as a, you know, as a silver lining if you want to plan for a memorial. I actually think what you want to try to do is let people know that you're available for them to talk. So whatever you can say to get them to share with you if they want to what they're going through is great. You know, just saying like, I've been thinking about you. I can't imagine what this is like for you. There's no perfect thing. I mean, you know, how many of us have spent 45 minutes trying to write a condolence card? Because we want to write the most perfect words, but there are none. You know, I mean, it's just, it sucks. (laughs) There is no perfect thing to say. If there was something perfect to say, we would all be saying it and everything would be all better. You know? (laughs) Speaking of a perfect thing to say, yeah. you know, as, as I broke down early in our conversation, thinking about my grandfather's love letters yeah. and how that motivated me in this podcast, one of the things that I ask guests to do is to bring uh, along a love letter, yeah. whether it's from their history or something that they found. And I, I know you found one, and I'm, I'm really excited for you to share that with us. Would you mind t- telling us about yeah. it and then sharing it with us, please? Sure. So... I've listened to many of your podcasts. It's not exactly typical, 
It's actually written by a woman named Karen Boudreau, who I don't know. It was posted by the Conversation Project on Facebook. And the Conversation Project is an amazing organization that helps people have conversations about death and dying and about their end of life wishes and um, making sure that people, you know, tell their families what they want at the end of their life which is so important right now because so many people are ending up in a hospital and they're unable to speak for themselves on a ventilator. And if nobody knows what they need or what they want for themselves, people are going to be making decisions for them that they may not have wanted. So um, when I read this, it just made me think that this, this is exactly what I would want to write to my own family. And I think it is just the most special gift you can give to a family member to let them know what you want at the end of your life or if you're not able to speak for yourself. I will uh, go ahead and read it. Um, It's called Don't Panic, It's Okay. If you are faced with a decision that you're not ready for, it's okay. I'll try to let you know what I would want for various circumstances. But if you have come to something we haven't anticipated, it's okay. And if you come to a decision point, and what you decide results in my death, it's okay. You don't need to worry that you've caused my death. You haven't. I will die because of my illness or my body failing or whatever. You don't need to feel responsible. Forgiveness is not required. But if you feel bad, responsible, guilty, first of all, don't. And second of all, you are loved and forgiven. If you are faced with a snap decision, don't panic. Choose comfort, choose home, choose less intervention, choose to be together at my side, holding my hand, singing, laughing, loving, celebrating, and carrying on. I will keep loving you and watching you and being proud of you. Oh, no. Wow. The reality is that's exactly what I would want at the end of my life. It might not be what you would want, and that's okay. You can... I, I'm giving you permission. I'm not Karen Boudreau who wrote it, but, you know, change it and let them know what you would want. Tell them, I want everything. Please, you know, here's my decisions. Do everything you can right. to keep me alive, whatever it is. I wouldn't want that, but that's just me. Well, I think that, thank you for sharing that, by the way. I'm, I'm doing my best to recover <laughs> so I can continue. Yeah. I, I think this is one of those moments where if you haven't had that conversation with your loved ones, as difficult and awkward as it might be and uncomfortable, I I think it's important. And the fact that there's something out there called the Conversation Project, which I'll I'll link uh, when I post the episode, is truly remarkable. You know, the reality is I have a 19-year-old. And when he turned 18, I had that conversation with him and asked him what he would want. Because at 18, I am no longer um, able to get his records. And I had him sign, you know, a healthcare proxy. So if something, God forbid, happens to him, and I asked him what he would want, so that I can make decisions for him too. That which is not something that a lot of people talk about. I know when my son, when my oldest turned 18, and was going off to college, I thankfully have, have someone in my life who said to me, hey, by the way, uh, he needs a healthcare proxy. Oh, he's going to school in New Jersey, you need one for New Jersey. So it's stuff that we don't go near because it's so hard for us to go near it. But we recognize, especially during this pandemic, when we tune into, you know, New York, for example, I tune into Governor Cuomo and I still I hear his daily count of deaths. And thank goodness that number is going down. But when you stop and you think about it, it's still 200 plus, 400 plus, Mm -hmm. 700 plus. 
families. Yeah. And that reverberates across communities mm-hmm. when someone passes. Yeah. So it is truly vital for us to have these kinds of conversations. Ooh, I'm going to now put you on the spot because we just got super heavy. I've cried twice already when I, well, while we've been okay. on the phone. Tell me something funny. Okay. You have a favorite joke you want to share? Um, let me think. And I just want to say, I know that I talk a lot about death and it can be very heavy, but I'm actually really funny too. And like, you can invite me to a party <laughs> and I won't talk about it. We could just laugh and have fun. Well, hey, you know, we, we met <laughs> at a party. At a friend's, at, at a friend's I know. party. <laughs> Uh, and and then it was all of this, you know, all of a sudden it was like, wait, okay, we really need right, to know each other. Right, because I was so. funny, right? <laughs> you were very funny. Actually, I don't know, this isn't that funny, but there's a woman in my town right now. She's a math teacher, and she has been posting on this, like, big mural paper every day, a math joke, like a riddle every single day so people can walk by and they see the joke, and then the next day she posts the answer. So I think it was a couple days ago, she posted one and she also posts it on uh, like Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And I thought it was good for this, for this podcast, because it's about love. It said, why did the zero go on a date? Because he wanted to find the one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, I need a rim shot, please. (laughs) I thought that was funny. It's adorable. It's adorable. All right. I, I will get to share the corniest joke I've heard recently. Okay. Uh, it was actually on, on another podcast, Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast, because it just cracks <laughs> me up. And so sometimes I need to listen to it because I need yeah. to laugh. So I'm not going to even attempt to do a Gilbert Gottfried voice, but just imagine that it's Gilbert telling okay. this joke. Why did the alphabet take a laxative? Why? Because it wanted to have a vowel movement. <laughs> There we go. Corny and cornier. There you go. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. So now, now I feel like it's okay for us to yes, say goodbye. Right. We can end on that note. <laughs> Mandy, you are an incredible being. Thank, Thank you, you so much for spending some time with Ooh. me and for helping me. And I hope, I know that this conversation will help so many Aww. others. I hope so. And stay Thank safe. Thank you. You too. It was great to talk to you. Well, at least we ended up laughing, and it is definitely a gift to be able to fall back to humor, which is so important. Don't worry, I do have a letter for you, because <laughs> what would this be without a love letter to share? And I am so grateful and privileged to be reading a love letter sent in by my friend Nancy. It's uh, from her dad, Bernie, who would write letters to her mom, Benny. And yes, that was her actual name. I think it's so cute. Bernie and Benny sitting in a tree. Thank you, Nancy, for sending this in and for filling me in on their stories and some pictures. They are adorable. It seemed like it was definitely a whirlwind romance. As Nancy says, they got married seven months after they met. They were madly in love until Benny passed away in 1998. They always kissed hello and goodbye and were always holding hands. I've never seen two people so in love. So I'm going to share with you a letter from Bernie to Benny from shortly after they met. It is dated 41360. Benny, my dearest, I'm walking around on a cloud. Little did I realize the wonderful feeling of being in love. The only difficult part is not telling anyone. I feel like telling the world. It's not going to be easy keeping the secret until Claire comes home, but I'm sure it's the wisest thing to do. I'm sure you understand and will be patient. 
Benny, I want you to know that I think your parents are wonderful people, and this was the clincher as far as I was concerned. They are warm people, and now I know why you are so nice. I hope we can add to their happiness. Honey, everything has happened so fast. There hasn't been time to think about the date or how we will do it. Spoke to Red the other night, and he thought our idea of just having the family was a good idea, but also thought we should have an open house or some such thing for our friends. At any rate, since I'm in such a dilemma, and since we won't announce our plans until Claire comes home, I thought Claire would be able to help us gel our plans. Honey, I know you must think I'm relying on Claire a lot, but she thinks well, and I know it will give her a lot of pleasure to help. Please understand that my devotion will always be to you. I'm not a mama's boy but do feel a closeness to my family as you do to yours. If you ever feel that you are not first, please nudge me, as I would never want that to happen. Hope you are enjoying yourself. I miss you terribly. By the way, Jackie said you were the best-looking girl at the banquet. I certainly agreed. All my love, Bernie. So sweet and loving. And Claire and Red, who he mentions, are his sister and her husband, who took care of him after their parents passed. And uh, you can certainly go to Instagram and see pictures of them and pictures of the letter. I love reading these handwritten letters and seeing the handwritten letters. It really is just magical. So this brings us to the end of another episode of Love in the Time of COVID-19. If you have a letter you want to share with me, send it. Love in the Time of COVID-19 at gmail.com. Pictures also are amazing. You can follow me on Instagram, lovecovidstyle. Facebook is love in the time of COVID-19. And I hope that you are all staying safe and staying healthy. I'm Julie Stampler. Stay well. <laughs>